Today, we talk about capturing the slowing of time on Behind the Shot. Hi, once again, and as always, thanks for joining us on Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel. I, I really do appreciate your tuning in to watch or for that matter, listen, I apologize in advance for my voice. My guest actually knows that I went to NAM this year and I got sick and and ended up with kind of borderline pneumonia. And the voice is kind of barely holding up at this point. Hopefully we make it through this day without too much problem. Uh, and we'll see what happens. Couple things to let you know about before I bring my guest in. First of all, the episode that you're about to watch has a blog post associated with it, as all the episodes do. And you can find those at behindtheshot.com. TV. You can also subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts in both an audio and a video form. Now, of course, your app has to support video to subscribe to the video, but there is a video feed. The video is also available on the Behind the Shot YouTube channel. I do want to remind you as well that we are doing the image critique shows right now. I'm doing those with my buddy Don Komarechka. Those are only on the YouTube channel. And we just, the day before I'm recording this one, we just did our first live broadcast of an image critique show. Me and Don had an absolute blast doing it. Go check that one out. In fact, my guest has a couple of images in that one. Uh, that pretty much wraps it up for, for setting you up for today. I want to kind of preview today's guest before I bring him on, though because I've been doing this podcast now for I don't know how many years, and I've got a number of regular listeners and regular people who actually communicate with me and have entered contests. And today's guest has actually won some of those contests. I'd like to welcome Ken Lee to the show. Ken, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. It's, it's my pleasure. And I've known about you for a long time because you won one of the Red River Paper contests. I did. You yeah, also won the contest that we did with Trey Ratcliffe <clears throat> for the influencer Indeed. class. And Mike Martin is a mutual friend of ours. Mike also watches the show. And he said to me, you know, because I met Mike at NAM for the first time. And Mike said to me, you really need to get Ken Leon because he's got a new book out and there's great photos in there. And I, I kind of went, Ken Lee. I know that. Are you talking about <laughs> Ken Lee that listens to the show? He goes, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, okay. Well, let's do that. So here's Ken Lee. So let's, let's talk about you a little bit. You sure. are a photographer. You are mostly known for, I mean, to me, it's long exposure, like star trails, night photography. How do you describe what you photograph to people? I generally say I am a uh, night photographer or a night sky photographer. That's that's really my big thing. I also do travel photography, and I love that too. But I, I really at heart feel that I'm a night photographer. Okay. And you are also a musician, which is kind of yes. how you know Mike Martin. Mike Martin, by exactly. the way, works for Casio. He's a marketing person for Casio. Wonderful guy. And by the way, also a great photographer as well. A great photographer. Um, yeah, amazing. I mentioned the book because the reason Mike mentioned you to me was mm -hmm. you've got this book out. So I went checking out your book. Your book is such an unusual subject that I think a lot of people <laughs> drive down roads and photograph this stuff, but yeah. they don't really, it's, it's kind of like they're passing it and it's like, let's grab a shot as opposed to you who goes and seeks out abandoned places. Indeed. And photographs these abandoned places in unusual long exposures. Tell me a little bit about the book. So um, the book, the book here is uh, abandoned Southern California, and um, the slowing of time. 
Abandoned Southern California, The Slowing of Time. And um, it's uh, put out by Font Hill Media. And um, they have this uh, they have this branch called America Through Time. And um, they're starting to uh, put out books on abandoned places that are in the United States. So they contacted me. Um, and, and I said, you do realize that I do night photography, right? And they said, yes. In fact, that's what we want. We want you to do, we want to feature your night photography. And so, so here it is, I suppose. This is my first book. It just came out a short while ago, so I'm really excited about it. And, and it's available on Amazon. I will have a yes. link for the book mm -hmm. in the blog post at BehindTheShot.tv for this episode. But you can also just go to Amazon and, and search for Ken Lee in the title of the mm -hmm. book. Say the name of the book again. Abandoned Southern California, The Slowing of Time. Unfortunately, okay. there's another book um, put out by the same company that begins with Abandoned Southern California. But if you just type my name in with, with the title, then it'll pop right up. Okay. And when you see the book, you'll know it's the same image we're talking about today. Which yeah, it yeah, that's right. Yeah, so the that you'll know it's the one because if you've watched this video or gone to the website to see the picture, <laughs> it makes it a little easier. <laughs> that's right. You've won some interesting contests. So Joshua Tree National Park National Parks photo contest you won. LA oh, you Times one, Editor's huh? Choice for Summer Photos you won. Yeah. Uh, neon Night Photography, you had an exhibit with three images in that. Uh, and right. you were an editor's pick of the week by the Smithsonian, which is pretty amazing. Right. That was, that was, uh, yeah, that, uh, that amazed me quite a bit. Well, you've got some great work. Your long exposure stuff is what intrigues me the most. So I want to talk to you about some general photography stuff before we bring up today's image. What, first of all, what do you shoot? What's your go-to camera and lens? So for the longest time, I've been an icon shooter, and um, up until very recently, I was shooting um, uh, two cameras, a D750 and a D610. Um, and um, the D610 served as the backup. But very recently, I sold the D610, which is, by the way, the camera that I shot this with, and I picked up a Pentax K1. So I am now... Yeah. Are yeah, you I fully am, in the, the Pentax world now? I'm, I've dipped my foot in the waters and I have, I have one Pentax lens. And um, so far, I'm really, really impressed with the camera. And, you know, I've been in the Nikon ecosystem for, I don't know, you know 20 years. So it really takes a lot for me to, to you know, step outside that and and say, oh, let's try something new. But the, the camera just blows me away. Which, so, which Pentax is it? K1. And, oh, K1. And it's the, okay. Uh, yeah. And it's the Mark I. Um, it's a it's a full frame camera, um, but I didn't get the Mark II because the Mark II actually, believe it or not, burns in the noise reduction into the raw file. It, it actually, which is very surprising. Uh, and I don't you want that. You can't turn I that want, off? No. You cannot turn that off at all. And uh, otherwise they're about the same camera. So I don't want I don't want noise reduction automatically baked into my raw file. And again, this is a raw file. So very unusual. But um, so I went for the first one and I'm extremely happy with it. I started photographing with this in November. Okay, uh, so year, let's November let's talk. With the type of stuff you shoot, you're outside, right? Most most of the stuff that you do is you're traveling, you're finding these abandoned locations in Southern California or wherever. Are there any are there any apps, for example, mobile apps, that you couldn't live without for what you do? 
Um, Google Maps is an absolute must, um, okay. and Google Earth, uh, for that matter. Um, I also use Motion X GPS. Um, that's $10, I believe it is, and it does more it. or less the same thing. Oh, okay. Uh, you know what it is. Clear Outside. Clear Outside is an absolute must. I don't now, know Clear that Outs- one. Oh, okay. So you have to check this out, Steve. So Clear Outside shows um, it, it shows atmospheric conditions, including cloud cover, which, of course, as a night photographer, you would have to know. Um, it also tells about wind, even temperature. Um, and it shows it in a specific area and it gives time frames per hour. So, oh, and not only that, but it uh, indicates low, medium, or high clouds. So you can even t- tell the character of the clouds. And then, of course, since I said it, it, it gives the wind, you can tell whether they're moving or not. And that's absolutely indispensable for a night sky photographer. So interesting. Yeah, I know a lot of people one. who use photo pills. Photo pills, yeah, of course. That's that was my next one. But uh, clear outside is brilliant. Okay, I'm gonna have to look that one up. All yeah, right, you so really that should. that that kind of brings <laughs> us to the shot because when when you and I, for people who don't know, here's how I do this. I always want a shot that my guest wants to talk about, but it also has to be a shot that I've got questions about. So usually right. I have my guests give me a pool of you know five or six images that we can both kind of you know pick from. And when I saw this shot that I'm about to bring up, I immediately went, okay, that's the one. And oddly, it's also the cover (laughs) of the book. So the name of this image is Bright-Eyed and Ready. And I'm going to try and describe it. You've heard me on the show try and do this before, and I suck at it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, By the way, if you want to see the image... I, I like the way you describe the images on the show. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been listening to, uh, to the show for about a year, and I, I like the way you describe them. Well, thank you very much. Sure, I'm going to sure, try sure. and do yours justice. <laughs> Wish me luck. <laughs> so here's the deal with this particular shot. It is, it, it, it's a lot of different things in once. And if you want to see the image, go watch the video version either in your podcast app or on YouTube or Head on over to the website, behindtheshot.tv, find the blog post for this episode, and you can see it there. But it's a portrait orientation shot. It's a Dutch angle view. Mm-hmm. It's got an abandoned uh, plane, and I believe this is the back of the plane. So this is Indeed like the gun is. turret on the back with the, the back you know tail rudders and stuff like that. The wings are in the far distance. It looks as though it's an old bomber, like a B-29. I don't think it's a B-29 because that doesn't look like the right gun turret on the back. Mm-hmm. But it's some kind of an old bomber. The it rear is. end is actually off the ground. Mm-hmm. Front of it is on the ground. The angle is actually, I want to get into that later. The angle is one of the things that's wild because normally you'd have the wheels under the wings and under mm-hmm. the nose and the tail would be off the ground. But here, because of the angle that you chose, it's this accentuated, like floating effect, like it's taking off from the back. It's wild. And here's where this shot gets crazy wild to me. The horizon is clearly daylight. I mean, there's blue sky, there's clouds, there's sun. But at the top of the picture, it's night sky with stars and Milky Way. And it's, it's um, I'm trying to figure out how to describe the color. This picture is so crazy colorful, and and I mean vibrant, but it's not unreal. It's very real, but it's I don't know. That that's probably my best description of of this photo. So let's kind of dissect it a little bit. You mentioned that's it was a D six ten. 
Um, well, I'm uh, yes, it's it's a D six ten. So just to back up a little bit, okay. The photo is uh, taken completely at night. It's it's not during the day at all. It's really at night. Yeah, no kidding. So what you're seeing in the back, everybody thinks that's a sunset or something like that. That's light pollution. That is light pollution. Really? Wow. Okay. That is light pollution. Yeah. So there's uh, there's um, no daylight in there whatsoever. It was you know hours since since the uh, since the sunset like like to give me perspective yeah any idea what time of day this was uh you know i uh i'm gonna guess around sometime between 11 and uh, 1 a.m oh so it was really night oh oh it's dark dark it's it's dark um i don't remember but um it's dark dark Uh, so uh, in the photo you can see the milky way um which is fairly is well reasonably prominent and uh, so it's dark, dark. Interesting. Okay. So I want to talk about something I noticed in the EXIF data that I'm not clear on because I don't know this lens. So it's a D610. Correct. But but it's an IRIX 15 millimeter 2.4 lens. That's exactly right. Explain that lens to me. It's a prime lens. Um, if I recall correctly, it's a Korean made lens, but um, they have a uh, they have a reputation, pretty good reputation for being um, high quality, and it's a prime lens. Obviously, it's you know just fifteen millimeters, and um, it's almost as if they made the lens for for night photography. So there's several different features on this um, this lens that I think you would find intriguing. One of them is that it has um, glow in the dark numbers. Um, another interesting, it, yeah. Another is that it has a detent for true infinity. It, it actually detents. So if um, even in the dark, you can turn it and there'll be a slight click. So you can find infinity uh, super quickly. And for for a night photographer who's um, photographing the stars, that's valuable. That's, that's really great. Oh, yeah, I, um, I could see that. What's interesting to me, though, now that I think about it, it's a 15 millimeter, but it it does not look that fish-eyed like the, the, the rear, you know, tail wings right. yeah, are it's, not it's, bowed or fish. Did you lens correct this or is it pretty close to rectilinear? No, no, that's, um, that's pretty much coming out of the camera and it's, um, it is rectilinear. Wow. So, so it does have that quality, even though it's, uh, pretty wide. Um, uh, the other thing which doesn't really pertain so much to this uh, photograph, but I should mention it is that the, um, it accepts two kinds of filters, which is rare for a um, for a uh, for a lens this wide. Um, it accepts two kinds of filters. It accepts screw-on filters in the front and gel filters in the back. So um, uh, some of your listeners might not know, but a lot of um, wide-angle uh, lenses of of this nature are bulbous, and you can't uh, you can't screw, screw on a, a filter. filter on the front. Yeah. Yeah. So. Interesting. So, okay. So let's, let's, let's dive into this a little deeper. First of all, before we get into the secret part of it, which (laughs) I I don't want to share yet, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Tripod or no tripod for this? Absolutely tripod. Yes. Okay. The exposure on these shots, and I'm saying these shots now, you'll understand momentarily. Oh yeah. (laughs) 15 seconds. It's Uh a 2.4 lens. So it's Mm 2.4, 15 millimeters because 15 millimeter fixed. ISO 5000. Now, I right. mentioned these shots. Explain <laughs> to people what I mean. So what Steve is referring to is that I took 12 photos in succession, one directly after another, 
um, each one of them exactly um, that uh, those specifications that Steve mentioned. And um, why did I take 12 in a row? Because what I'm doing is I'm uh, utilizing a process called stacking. So um, stacking was originally uh, created by astronomers to reduce um, noise. So it's a form of noise reduction of sorts. And well, you, you know, we can always use good ideas wherever they come from. So us night photographers uh, sometimes use the same technique. So I took 12 photos in a row. Uh, then I loaded them up in a program called Starry Landscape Stacker which I oh. believe only runs on Mac, but for you PC people, um, Sequator is the equivalent. Wait, wait, say the Mac name app again? Starry Landscape Stacker. It's, so it's an app and it's so easy. So you load these 12 photos inside, you choose median, it actually defaults to median actually. Um, you basically choose, you select what the sky is um, which it sort of does it for you, but then you have to tweak it a little bit uh, just to make sure it's accurate. Uh, then press OK or, or whatever it is. And um, maybe less than a minute later, it has somehow merged all these photos together via median. And it's also dramatically reduced the noise. So um, uh, this is... Uh, this is one of, you know, again, a form of noise reduction. So basically, the more photos you take, the more uniform the background noise becomes, allowing more stars and detail to be drawn out. So um, this helps remove some of the random noise. And, and, and so that color. people know, yeah, you can you can do the same type of a thing in Photoshop. The the idea behind you could yes behind multiple shots because most people when they see that you that you stacked these right that you you went in and you you did you know 12 images and you stacked them they think you do different exposures or to to mask yeah. things in but the idea is that if you take 12 identical high iso photos mm -hmm. the one thing that will constantly not be in the same place is the noise and so you can use exactly. tools within photoshop or an app like this one that basically just finds the things that are changing and can remove those, such as the noise pixels that are in there. So great idea. I'd never heard of that app. I'm going to have to look that app up. So it's, it's a really great app and it's, it's very, very easy to use. I am such a non-technical person, which is sort of funny that I'm doing night sky photography because night sky photography is somewhat technical. Uh, but this app is so easy to use. Is it expensive? It's free. Okay, then. <laughs> right? How can you beat that, right? <laughs> yeah, you can't beat that. So no. where is this? Oh, this is out in the middle of the Mojave Desert. Um, it's a sort of uh, a boneyard of sorts. And um, yeah. and, and I, I guess my big question is, because as you know, I don't shoot this. Right. How on earth did you find this thing? <sighs> well... Um, it's a combination of, um, again, uh, Google Earth, uh, Google Earth. But honestly, uh, this one, I had a couple of friends uh, take me and they swore me to secrecy, which is why I'm being a little bit vague about the, uh, um, the location. Oh. I'm usually not very vague, but I had a, f a couple of friends uh, take me there. I had no idea where they were going and they swore me to secrecy. So Please tell me they didn't to... put a bag over your head and throw you in the trunk. It, it almost came to that. But the thing I can tell you 
the most memorable thing about uh, about the trip was when when we pulled up, you could see the outline of this um, this magnificent bomber, and I literally gasped out loud. I mean, it just filled me with awe because it is so incredibly large, and you just can't even imagine this thing getting off the ground. It is so large, so uh, just incredible. It's magnificent. So so let's talk about this for a minute. You go out there. You don't really know what you're going to end up finding, right? Your friends are surprising you with the location. Pretty you much. see this thing at night. You know exposure and how you're going to do things. But when you saw this, this particular shot with the mm. with, with the Dutch angle, with the the you know this mixture of light pollution and Milky Way, and did you picture that in your head, or was it just I'm going to capture? an exposure and see what comes you know what I mean? Was there right. any pre-visualization to this? Well, what I do is um, as much as possible, because it's, it's really dark is I walk around, I let my eyes adjust first of all, and I try not to use, I try not to use a flashlight as much as possible. Um, but I basically just walk around leaving my camera, um, you know, by the wayside and just, just look and see what really comes out and grabs me. And this, this, this absolutely grabbed me. I, uh, as you say, the uh, tail is sticking up uh, way off the ground. Um, and after that, it was just a matter of um, placing the camera down. And then I, I don't remember specifically, but I probably readjusted the camera several times um, coming across eventually the Dutch angle. Um, I did the Dutch angle because, uh, as you say, I wanted to give the 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 effect of the thing sort of lifting off into space. I mean, it's it's really a, a very otherworldly sort of photo. Well, and and it's funny. I've mentioned this on past episodes. Yeah. And it's becoming a habit now. I used to tell people I don't like Dutch angle angles, but <laughs> I've had now. In the last <laughs> six months, I've had three episodes with images with Dutch angles that the image would have fallen apart without the Dutch angle. Yeah, so Dennis I Reggie. now realize yeah. it's not that I don't like Dutch angles. It's that I've just seen a lot of people use them incorrectly. Maybe. Um, in my opinion, this is just for, for my aesthetic, but if I'm going to use a Dutch angle, I'm going to go full on 1960s Batman. Uh, it's, it's going to be tilted. Um, there is going to be no... <laughs> uh, love the reference. No one's going to think, oh, the horizon's just slightly off. It's crooked. Right. No, they're going to know that I did it on purpose. Um, so with this, I probably, what I probably did is I sort of tilted, um, tilted the ball head around and just went, oh yeah, that's it. Um, it wasn't like I approached this going, oh, you know, I should probably do a Dutch angle with this. Um, I probably tilted the camera around and then it just, it felt right. It just did, felt did right Did the end that. result match what you pictured in your head? More or less, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So here's a question I just thought of that I'm sure. dying to know. Portrait orientation clearly works for the book. It was does. the shot originally portrait? Was it cropped that way? Did you do any of this landscape? It was originally portrait. Um, and part of the reason that it was originally portrait was, um, because I, I actually didn't have a book publishing, 
sorry, um, a book publishing deal at this time. So I was just shooting portrait because it just felt right. And also because I could get more of the Milky Way and the starry sky in the background. So that's, that's why I did it that way. See, and it works. This is, this is actually to me, this is the dictionary definition of this type of a shot that (laughs) needs to be portrait because the blend of the, and by the way, Mm. I mentioned this on a shot on the image critique where you had some images in there. Okay. Your, your shadow definition on the ground is brilliant, right? So many people would let that block up and I can see all the detail in the dirt, all the detail on the ground, all the detail in, in all of those places. And yet then the blend to what I now know as light pollution and (laughs) I didn't before, uh, into the nighttime sky, the stars and the Milky way is it, it really needs that kind of vertical. And by the way, the vertical lift kind of, you know, it's, it's a plane. So it makes sense to have the vertical lift. There's light under the plane. There is. What artificial light did you use here? All right. So I'm glad you asked that. Um, I'm using a, in fact, I thought I had it here. Here it is. Um, I'm using a Proto Machines LED 2 I'm going to hold it up. So it, um, uh, excuse the, um, this, this, is, uh, this is the tape work of a working night sky photographer. We don't want to lose our, um, our Oh, precious, so you put white tape uh, on it. I put, oh, actually, this is glow in the dark tape. Oh, nice. That. Uh, but anyway, um, this is a proto machines led two. it's made by someone named George Liu and, um, who I am also friends with. And, um, it produces all sorts of different light. In fact, um, all any light in, uh, in the RGB spectrum. Oh, Uh, and, and it it controls, yes, it controls saturation as well. Uh, uh, okay. Hold on a second here. Hold on a second. I, I need to, I need to think about this. So for those of you on the audio feed, let me explain what he held up is like a handheld. It almost looks like a, a nozzle on a hose, right? It's, it's a handheld, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, a, a torch as it were that shoots forward, almost like you're holding a gun. And then of course he's got the glow in the dark tape on it, which is actually brilliant <laughs> by the way, but you're saying this is an RGB light. How do you program the colors? Um, there's a bunch of controls in the back, and so um, and it also has a wheel, so you can you can um, cycle through um, zero to three fifty nine. Um, wow. The the full full color output. Um, you have complete uh, control over the hue and saturation, and the brightness. Um, it has simulated white balance output. Um, uh, the white balance output is uh, fully adjustable. Everything is fully adjustable. Brightness, uh, and you can store eight of your favorite settings as well. Okay. Um, this, this sounds, Oh, this is so much fun. Do you know where you get this? Um, no, uh, people could just Google it. Say the name again. Yeah. Maybe I'll just uh, shoot you a link later, but it's, I can put it in the show notes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That would be great. Uh, proto machines, uh, probably proto machines.com if I had to guess, but, um, okay. We'll make sure though. And I'll get it in the show notes because now you, you mentioned the way I'm, I'm totally off the picture now. (laughs) You mentioned the white balance thing. Can you dial in a Kelvin? Absolutely, yeah. You yeah, can yeah. tell it I want a torch at fifty five hundred. Yeah, you can. You can dial in uh, literally any color. It's oh incredible. man, I want that. I want that yeah. so bad. It is uh, so okay. much fun. So and Ken th- will get me the is, link for this. I will. Yeah, this will go in the <laughs> show notes. So okay, back to the picture here. So you're using this torch. The bottom of this plane is lit up. 
Are you just mm-hmm. shining it on it and taking a yes. picture? I mean, how are you doing that? This is a bizarre one because I usually don't do this. Um, so now what I do is I, um, I've been lately taking a low ISO uh, photo and um, uh, of the foreground and then the typical high ISO of the background. This one actually is quite literally 12 photos all at the, the, the same settings that we discussed previously. And that's it. And so just to be on the safe side, I don't think I needed to do this, but I very literally light painted each frame. I, I, sh- uh, I sh- illuminated the plane all 12 times, in other words. Um, I'm not sure if I had to do that. I could have probably blended it in, but I just wanted to make sure that it was okay. So that's what I did. Are there, are there any modifiers on the end or you just shine it as There's- a bare torch? Uh, there's no modifiers whatsoever. You could because it has uh, screws. It has screws right here. So there's okay. some times in which if I photograph an abandoned vehicle, for instance, and I want to make the the, the headlights look like they're shining, I'll I'll screw on a snoot, which which is a, a self-made snoot that I made. But for this, nothing. So, all right. I, I need to, I, I'm processing a lot here. This is awesome. 15 second this image. This is fun. You're, you're light painting it. Now, when you light paint, again, I don't shoot this type of photography, but when you're doing a 15 second image or 30 second or a three minute exposure. Exactly. There's times when you're light painting, you'll actually walk through a frame, correct? I will. Yeah, that's correct. Explain to me why you don't end up in the picture. Okay. So I love that question. Um, and it's a great question, really. So basically in just about any form of photography, whether it's long exposure or not, you won't begin to register until you've stood reasonably still for approximately 10% of uh, the total overall exposure. So um, so you can very, very literally walk through, and as long as you're not doing something like shining the light on yourself or... Um, or, um, you know, a car is coming by and illuminating you and you're wearing reasonably dark clothes, although that's not even crucial, you won't register. Now, if I stood in place for at least 10, 10% of that exposure, it would start showing up as sort of like a ghostly black smudge. And then longer than that, uh, I start becoming more formed. That, okay. That's fascinating. So you, mm-hmm. but this one, you did not walk through, right? This image, you just shined the light on the plane. That's correct. Okay. Interesting. How do you, again, this is, how do you know how long it's a 15 second exposure, right? You don't have to shine it for the full 15 seconds. That's correct. How do you know how, how long, how powerful to light it for that long? Okay. And that's a really great question too. Um, I, I know because I've been doing this for a few years. Uh, I've been doing night photography for about, I think, six six years or so. So Yeah, I, but me I not. I'd go out know. to see this plane. Right. How do I know how much light I need and for how long on a 15-second image? Um, some of it is um, truly trial and error. But I know, for instance, that I have an ISO of 5,000. That's extremely sensitive. So... Um, I know you that you say I, you have an is that your base usually you start around that high? Oh no, no, no. I don't have a base. Uh I, I don't really um my base for Milky Way photos in general is probably approximately four thousand. Okay. Uh so I went a little high with this one. 
Um, and a part of the reason why I went high was because I wanted a 15 second exposure because I really, for some, I just really, really wanted those stars as pinpoints. So 15 seconds is pretty short for a 15 millimeter. Um, uh, right, right, right. Uh, but anyway, f- um, ISO 5000 is really, really sensitive. So I don't need that much light. I don't need that much illumination. So I probably dialed this down to half or one third of, of its total overall brightness and then just waved it, waved it once or twice and um, bang, I was done. So you're um, moving it. It's not, you're not just pointing it, you're waving it and pa- literally painting with it. Very literally painting. That's why light painting is such an apt description because I'm very literally, um, uh, you know, uh, offering strokes of light. Interesting. All right. So let's talk composition for a minute because this okay. to me, we, we've kind of touched on it already. But this, to me, is kind of where this picture really excels. Dutch angle absolutely works. It adds okay. interest. It adds emphasis to the to the rays of the tail end of the plane off the ground. Right. It adds energy, almost like the plane is taking off. Like you, It feels like you're under a flying plane almost. Mm-hmm. You've got a rule of thirds thing happening where it goes from exactly the bottom left corner to the, the, the ground, the plane of the, the earth, as it were, the horizon line. Bottom left corner to exactly the right rule of third but then at the exact same angle, mimicking that is the plane wing that goes to almost the next rule of third. But to make that up, because you're not at the rule of third, <laughs> the light pollution line where it goes from white to blue or you know darker sky, that's exactly at the rule of third. There's so many things working here. And <laughs> the Milky Way comes in from a rule of third and goes down to a rule of third. And then you have... Not on any rule. I'm guessing, actually, if I were to overlay a golden ratio on this, it might land on the spiral. You have the Hmm. one super bright star I forgot to mention at the beginning at the very top, which oddly adds a ton to this image. If that that had been cloned out, for example. Oh, no. It wouldn't work. I mean, it just adds a ton. And then... And this is what made me not realize, by the way, that this was all the same shot. I honestly thought when you had secretly told me ahead of time this was 12 shots, that this was stacked using layer masks because the bottom part feels like daylight, the clouds streak, but it's like daylight clouds streaking against the night sky. It's just awesome. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. I I really appreciate that. Are you thinking all that when you shot it? (laughs) No, 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 no. Um... I'm moving around the camera and then like when I just feel something, uh, I just go with it. And, you know, obviously I'm, I'm aware of the rule of thirds and to a lesser degree, the, uh, the golden ratio, I I'm aware of all that. So I'm hoping that somewhere subconsciously, um, that's part of the process, but honestly, I'm just trying to create something that's just really magnificent and cool looking. And so I'm, I'm moving, moving the camera around until I go, oh yeah, oh yeah. And obviously you can't get it on every shot, but you know, as much as possible, that's what we try and do. And it just, it just felt right. Yeah. It, so, well, yeah. there's a reason for that. <laughs> so you bring this thing into post. Mm-hmm. We already talked about stacking them. Okay. You I get did, them stacked, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You don't, process that you stack the raws and then whatever the resulting stack is, is what you do your processing on. Correct. What would you have done to a shot like this? So 
at the time that I processed this shot, I believe I, I, I believe I had just gotten Lightroom. So I probably didn't do very much with it. And I'm still very much a, a Lightroom novice. Um, so I probably did a few minimal things like I might have used. Uh, I, I might have used a little bit of a tiny bit of clarity, um, did some light um, uh, color adjustment, and then I would have shipped it off to Photoshop. Um, and what would Photoshop, you have done there? In Photoshop, I would have done selective sharpening using luminosity masks, and I also would have applied selective noise reduction also using luminosity masks. I use Lumenzia um, because it's super easy and great for non-technical people like me. And, yeah, because lumin um, luminosity masks are great, but they do take time if you don't you do them a lot. Yeah. They, they, they do. And really, I was intimidated by luminosity masks for the longest time. But when you use a program like Lumenzia, and there's probably others, um, it really makes it easy because you can really target your adjustments specifically. Well, see, uh, and that's one of masks. my, that's one of my big things. Uh, a friend of mine, Aunt Pruitt, uh, who does uh -huh. stuff for This Week in Tech, um, hands-on photography and stuff like that. And he just posted a video today talking about selective adjustments. And it's one of my things is if you really want to improve your photography, start doing selective adjustments. I mean, yes, Absolutely. there's a place for global adjustments. Yeah. But you know, stop doing global noise reduction at a point. Yeah. Right? That, and see, global noise reduction would completely ruin this photo because you want the stars to be really pinpoint. You want them to be exactly. pinpoints. And and applying a global well, noise and the reduction detail, would just the ruin detail it. Well, and the detail in the old beat up paint. Oh, that too. Yes. You'd lose that. You Yeah, that would be obliterated. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you. So let's let's just talk generic here for a second. Okay. I've never done this. I've never gone out and shot this or whoever, you know, person X has never gone out and shot this. I'm, I'm going to tell you right up front because <laughs> I honestly thought that this was stacking of different daytime. So one of the questions I actually had in my head that I was going to ask was uh -huh. for people who want to blend different daytimes, what is your tip? This wasn't different daytimes. So let's switch ha! this question a little bit. Okay. For somebody who's going to go out and they end up in the middle of nowhere with a giant plane in front of them. <laughs> and they've never shot, which by the way, good job if you end up with, with a giant plane in front of you and you didn't expect it. Yeah, you've done well. You've, you, yeah, you're <laughs> off to the right start to begin with. But they end up in the middle of nowhere with this giant plane in front of them because, <laughs> you know, it happens. What is your tip to get them started on shooting night photography like this? Long exposure nighttime photography. The first thing is that um, night photography is a very almost meditative, um, very deliberate sort of um, sort of form of photography. So the first thing I would say is to have patience because you're going to create an image that sucks. There's no way around it. You're you're going to create images that suck. So what? Um, all that matters is that eventually, well, first of all, what really matters is that you have fun. But but apart from that, um, just keep adjusting it. If if it's too bright, uh, turn down your light or or set your camera. It's it's no different from day photography, only it just takes longer and it's harder to focus. And that's the other thing is uh, learn how to focus. There are several different ways of uh, learning how to focus, including the obvious illuminate what you're focusing on and uh, then 
uh, manually adjust your your camera accordingly. Or or actually, if you illuminate it enough, you can use autofocus. So you right, can do that right. too. Um, right. Now, in my case, with this camera, uh, I'm sorry, with this lens, um, there's a detent on infinity. So I just simply set it to infinity and I was good. Um, well, and, and in 15 millimeters, it's much more forgiving. It is. Even it really at 2.4. Even at two point four, right? So, so there would be that, um, and the other okay. thing is, oh, yeah, go sure. ahead. Um, you do have to know your camera reasonably well because you're fiddling in the dark. Uh, so you do need to know your camera, and you should be aware of your exposure triangle because you'll struggle if you don't know your exposure triangle. Now, those are very basic sorts of things, but you do have to know them, um, and you do have to. You should have some basis or starting point. Uh, for instance, Milky Way, I've said that my starting point is usually ISO 4000 and 15 to 20 seconds um, and so forth. Um, if I'm shooting full moon, it might be different. I, I might do, oh, I don't know, three minutes at um, ISO 200 F, F8. So instead right. of F2.4. So anyway, there's that. But um, apart from that, just taking your time and realizing that this is a very deliberate, but also a very, very actively creative form of photography and just, just to enjoy it. And if it takes you half an hour, two hours, whatever, to make a photo, that's great. That's fantastic. Well, and what's interesting is the overlap between shooting that and what I shoot. So when mm -hmm. I'm in a photo pit at a concert, you can't right. see the camera. You don't have time to look at the camera. And so effectively, you've got to know your gear and be able to yes. change it instantly. And uh, I always say to people, you've got to really understand what an exposure triangle is. But more importantly mm -hmm. to me, you have to understand reciprocals. So you mm -hmm. have to understand that if you've got a great exposure, but you realize that you want more flash to where you're going to change your aperture, or you want more ambient light to where you're going to change mm -hmm. your ISO or your shutter, you have to know how to adjust something else to, to get back to that proper exposure that you started with. Um, there's one thing I want to get out of you before we're done. <laughs> because one of the things I like about, and again, I mentioned it earlier, a lot of people shoot abandoned places and it's, it's an abandoned place. <laughs> That's different than you. You shoot abandoned places that have, they don't have, I mean, it's an abandoned place like anybody else shoots one. But when you shoot them, there's a story to it. Right. What is the secret to you as somebody who shoots abandoned places? What is the secret to somebody driving down the 15 freeway on their way to Vegas and they see an abandoned spot on the side of the road and they go, oh, that looks cool. It's got some graffiti on it. I'm going to go photograph. What is the secret to getting the story out of that? Well, I think, I think if you give into your curiosity, what what is the story that this place has to tell? And you approach it almost as if you were a film director, because remember, you're lighting. I, I, we're talking about night photography now. So you're lighting it. So you're choosing what to highlight and what to keep in shadow, uh, what to really accentuate. Like if, if I wanted to blast this with some red light or whatever, um, or, or blue light or what have you, each of it gives it a different feel. So, so you're, you're basically sort of approaching it from that standpoint of curiosity and then and then accentuating what you think are the really salient features what what interests you what what is utterly fantastic and in this way it's again actively creative because you're you're you may not 
you might not have this much control over a day photograph. You can't always choose what's in shadow and what's what's highlighted. Here you can. And yeah, you can choose I like the that. color too. Yeah, I like that. All right. So all the images that we the, the image we showed in the show, plus a gallery of Ken's images are at the blog post, which is at behindtheshot.tv. So go mm. check that out. You can see a small mm. gallery there. You can read a little blurb that I wrote about Ken. You can see the video there and this photo there. But if people want to find you, what's your website? And by the way, if you're watching the video or if you see the video, all of the information, all the links we're going to mention are popping up on the video, but they will also be in the show notes on the blog post or on the YouTube video. But just to get them out for the audio people, what's your website? My main website is uh, kenleephotography.com. And um, uh, that's basically some of my favorite night photo and long exposure photos with a couple of exceptions. I have a uh, a horse in Iceland there. Um, and then also Instagram, Facebook, and Flickr, your Ken Lee photography. Twitter yeah, so, yeah. is Blueberry Buddha. Right, yeah. Which I'm digging. Okay. <laughs> is there anybody, any, I, that's probably it. Flickr, Facebook, Instagram, Ken Lee photography, Blueberry Buddha on Twitter. I'm also on 500px, although I'm not very active on there anymore. Okay, uh, what, or what are you on 500px? Also Ken Lee photography. Okay, good. Uh, the other yeah, Ken Lee's use, must hate me. <laughs> I don't use that a lot anymore. Um, yeah, I've kind of sagged off your book. That, so. My book. Uh, pull yeah. up your book again, show oh, the cover yeah, of your yeah. book, and, okay, and so tell we'll... people where they can get it. Okay, so this um, this book is, uh, once again, Abandoned Southern California, The Slowing of Time. It's out on Font Hill Media. And it's available on the various different Amazons, you know, Amazon Italy and so forth. And it's also available in Target, Barnes & Noble, and I'm, I apologize. I cannot remember the names of there's Amazon like things in South Korea and Australia and New Zealand. And I cannot remember the name of it. So I apologize. But it's available on those. Mm -hmm. It's also available on my website, the kenleephotography.com oh, website. So it's available there too. Okay. That's perfect. So again, Ken, I'm, and by the way, Mike Martin, yeah. dude, thank you so much for suggesting I get Ken yeah, on the show. You, I really appreciate it. Uh, Ken, thank you so much for doing this, man. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me on. This was this was a lot of fun. So oh, thank you so much. Believe me, the pleasure, my friend, is all mine. So to everybody that's watching, make sure that you go check out kenleephotography.com. Check out his book, Abandoned Southern California, The Slowing of Time. And again, all the social media links will be in the blog post at behindtheshot.tv. You can again subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app as an audio feed. Or if your app supports it, there is a video feed as well, and the video is over on the YouTube channel. I want to remind you about the Flickr group. You can go over to Flickr and join the Behind the Shot group. If you want to get on the photo critiques that I'm doing with Don Komarechka, you need to do two things. And I've had some people comment that they missed this, so I'm going to say this really slow so that you can write it down. You want to go over and join Flickr. You can do the free account. It doesn't have to be the paid account, although Flickr does need support. So if you want to, sign up for the pro account. Join the Behind the Shot group on Flickr, submit your image to the Behind the Shot group. And here's the key. I don't want to just grab people's images for a critique show if they don't want them critiqued. So you actually have to put BTS critique. That's a Flickr tag, not a hashtag. Flickr has their own tagging system. So BTS critique as the image tag in Flickr. We search for those. We're doing them about once a month right now, me and Don Komarechka of the Photo Geek Weekly, Weekly podcast, which 
you should subscribe to that one too. And uh, participate, man. It's a lot of fun. We're having a blast. Ken's done a couple of them. To everybody, thank you as always for watching. To my guest, Ken Lee, thanks for being on the show. I'm Steve Brazel, and as always, we'll see you next time. Thank you.